Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of the sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep will drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals and impact your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. We're excited to announce the release of the Exvoyant Sales Leadership eBook. This book features secrets of some of the world's greatest sales leaders. You'll be introduced to coaching tactics, the building blocks of high growth, and other insights you can apply to help how you lead your team. This book is free, no strings attached. So head to exvoyant.com, download the book, read it, and share it today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Tamara Shank, Research Director at CSO Insights, the research division of the Miller-Hyman Group, where she is focused on global research on all things sales enablement, which includes sales coaching and sales manager enablement. I'm a huge fan of her work. I consider the things that she produces required reading for every sales manager. And if you're not following her yet, I promise by the end of the show, you will want to be. Tamara is a sales enablement evangelist, published author, an award-winning blogger, and keynote speaker. She co-authored the book on sales enablement called Sales Enablement, a master framework to engage, equip, and empower a world-class sales force. Tamara has worked closely with some of the most successful sales orgs in the world, and I cannot tell you how excited I am for this conversation today. Tamara, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. I'm really pleased that we have this podcast today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, I've been following you. We met in London a couple of years ago, like three years ago, and then again in Dallas. We're at some of the great uh, events, and you're always featured as one of those people uh, who has a unique perspective on what's going on with sales, and our leaders are in for a treat with you. So thank you again for joining us. I can't wait to do this. <laughs> Excellent. So why don't you start by telling our listeners about CSO Insights and Miller-Hyman and the work that you do there? Sure. Pleasure to do that. So CSO Insights is the independent research division of Miller-Hyman Group. So we are focused, we are dedicated to improving the performance and productivity of complex B2B sales. So we serve a wide range of industries with strategic analysis, with decision-making support. And we um, uh, usually publish a couple of um, different uh, research studies um, throughout the year. So um, most people are very familiar with our world-class practices study with a sales relationship process matrix results. And uh, as I'm the lead analyst on sales enablement, um, uh, I'm, of course, very much focused on our annual uh, global sales enablement study. And we are currently 
already preparing the fifth annual study on this. I can't believe it's the fifth. It seems like it yeah. was just like <laughs> blink my eyes and you guys had the first, right? Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so that's cool. So you actually have been a really big driving force. And I, I think you have a really unique perspective on enablement because when people hear your story, you, you can connect those dots between experience, expertise, and research in a way that uh-huh. I think most can't. So I'm going to dive into that. I, I love that. Um, can you also, just because it's one of the things our listeners really enjoy, can you share how you got involved in sales in the first place and how that led you to CSO Insights? Yeah, so that's a strange story because um, uh, when I grew up, sales was almost a no-go word. Um, so my father was an engineer. He had his own office, and he never perceived uh, customers as customers, and, and also he never treated them like customers. Um, so this term really didn't exist. Yeah. And then um, right after university, I found myself um, uh, in my own company with a partner. We were producing, implementing, selling software for Justin Sequence Automotive Suppliers. So all of a sudden, I was in the middle of sales, of marketing, of service, of product, of everything. And um, so after that, um, I worked as an IT consultant, then as a management consultant, and all of these are sales roles. As you probably know that, you you sell yourself in the project with your team and you secure the follow-up project. For sure, yeah. And then I joined T-Systems, a data telecom company, in 2008. So they were a customer of mine at this point. And then I did a strange thing. I did strategy implementation for a few years um, in a headquarter position. And I was very soon back in sales then. And then I was involved in a, in a restructuring um, program uh, of our sales force. That was 2008, nine. And I was asked to co-lead this uh, project with a, with a VP of one of the sales divisions. And um, then I asked myself, you know, the usual thing, you move people out and you increase quota for the rest of the sales force. And then I asked myself, okay, so how do we uh, enable um, our sellers to, to be able to do that, to achieve these goals? And I, I started at this point with what is the content they have access to? What do you use for their interactions? And, I found content chaos, what we have in a lot of organizations. We had simply (laughs) content chaos. We had content on 35 different places. And when I asked a couple of ROA players, they didn't even know that this would exist. So they simply used what I had in the laptop. So I was into something. Um, I found an executive sponsor who came from a very different direction. He was hired to consolidate our IT services portfolio. Uh, at this time, the company had portfolios and, you know, everybody had a different perspective on what we would actually sell. So he had to consolidate that and he needed to, to communicate that to the sales force. So at this point, he was my first sponsor. And I was at this point on a VP level, so I really wanted to do this enablement thing. Uh, and I jumped out of this and did this on a program manager level and step after that step. Um, we could evolve sales enablement from a program to a function. And then after uh, two or three yeah, in 2011, um, I managed it um to get the function back into the sales force. Uh, and then we were really on a more strategic level. And then we tackled content, we tackled training, the connection to the sales methodologies and the sales process landscape. And then 
I figured out actually we still have implementation, we still have reinforcement issues. And uh, so then we said, okay, the missing piece, the sales managers, we didn't take care of them. And so, and then it took me a while to, to sell that internally that we really have to work uh, on the coaching um, skills and on the, the perspective on coaching, how important that is with our sales managers. And that's what we did then. And that was a very successful um, program. And then, you know, you could do this once again elsewhere or really change your perspective. And uh, in 2014, I became an analyst. <laughs> Bam. That's awesome. And then the rest is history. Then you started writing these reports and that's what we're going to talk about now. I love your story because I relate to it. My father was an engineer as well. And, and, uh, he, he, he was a inventor and same exact thing, man. Uh, yeah. I think he still feels like he somehow failed because he has a son in sales. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah. But I relate I think to my that. My father recovered from this one, so he's no longer alive. But he recovered during that phase. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a great background, and I, I'm so excited for where this is going to go because our listeners—I know you listen to our show—and thank you for that. Um, our our, cust, our 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 speakers that have come on, like yourself, that they generally are leading teams that are high growth. Yep. And without fail, they always turn to coaching as a key part of their success. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I love your work so much is I'm blown away how little uh, is out there on coaching. There really isn't that much. Everybody talks about it, but mm-hmm. there's not that much out there. And you've made a specialty. One of the things you've found that drives enablement is, is how well those managers do that. I think a great way to talk about your work is to start with this common area of coaching. Can you share a little bit about what you found the, the great leaders do with coaching differently than maybe the average ones do? Yeah, Sure. Uh, I mean, we could talk for hours about sales coaching. Um, so what great leaders do, they really consider sales coaching as an essential leadership style uh, that has to be applied on a regular basis. So that's actually how they lead. So um, if, if an organization is in that kind of sales leadership mode, then coaching becomes natural. And then managers and leaders, they simply use every single moment they can coach their peers, their team members, their sellers. And then there is no need anymore to, to schedule specific coaching time to get this done. Uh, it's just natural. They just use every coaching moment um, they have, maybe after a joint meeting, when they come out of a customer meeting, when they are together on a call. Um, if they hear a great story, a great example from another peer, things like that. So then it is a priority. It is well understood what coaching really is, that it's not another world for we review an opportunity and we ask a lot of things. Why didn't you do this? Did you do that? What is your number this week? And all these kind of things. Um, so they really understand it as as a leadership style to help sellers to to get to another level of performance by encouraging them to look at what they do in a different way, to help them to see different activities that they could take and also to hold them accountable um, to do that. So I like that. So this is more than just formal uh, sit-down one-on-one. So you're saying you're finding coaching as a as a culture. It's It's how you lead. It's not just something you do. It's how you lead. How do you blend having like structured, formalized coaching and maybe this informal uh, sharing uh-huh. in the moment? I mean, how do you blend that? Because there must be a way that they blend those things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and I mean, until you get to such a fluent mode, um, there are a lot of uh, phases you have to go through. You, you, you don't develop an organization from we don't care about coaching up to we have a dynamic model in place. That that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so what we see in the data, and that is really encouraging. So two or three years ago, yeah, when, when we met in London the first time, we had almost 50% of organizations that said, oh, sales coaching, you know, we leave this up to our managers, which right. is another word for nothing will ever happen. <laughs> no. um, Let's push pause. I got to push pause. Why? <laughs> I agree with that. So if that's another way of saying nothing will ever happen, can you tell me why nothing will happen? So usually in these organizations, sales managers are not developed to be great coaches. And I mean, probably most of us are not born as natural coaches. Uh, so it's a skill I can learn. So that's the good news. It's something I can learn, but I also need the space and the opportunity to learn it and to apply it and to really get um, and then you have the usual excuses. Uh, we don't have the time. Um, and then other perspectives. If there is no clarity on coaching, uh, we do this, but it doesn't work. So, and this is um, a statement. It actually says we confuse it with managing activities, and that's not moving the needle. So glad you said that. Activity management and coaching are two different things. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, do you think, why do you think that they confuse that? Is it just because that's an easy place to look? Is, is, is that why? Is that the condition? Yeah, I mean, we looked at this uh, from a lot of different perspectives. And uh, very often it starts with sales leaders who run a sales organizations who never experienced to be coached themselves. So they think, hey, my goodness, I made my career. I was never coached, so why would they ever need that? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I make this a bit black and white, but there is a tendency to, my goodness, just just go selling. Yeah. yeah. And it very often comes from a place where these people actually had an excellent sales career, but very often on an A player level. And so the, the challenge with an A player is they don't know why they are outstanding. They cannot tell you why they just do it. So in my previous role, the CEO we had at T-Systems, he was such a person. He had an incredible capability to tune into every single buyer in an instant mode. He didn't know what he did and how he just did it. So he, of course, could not understand in the beginning, well, what are you doing, sales? What are all these things? I mean, just go do it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's actually a great problem to have <laughs> uh, if, if you're so talented yourself, but that's not a majority. And you know, I'm also saying very often sales enablement is not for A players. They, they don't need it. They do what they do anyway. So you actually want to leverage um, some of the stuff they are doing for your B, B and C players to make them better, to lead them to, to higher levels of performance. And, and also the coaching um, is focused on, on these parts of your, of your team. It, it doesn't mean we don't coach A players, but you do it in a different way. So you praise them ways, more, yeah. you give them space and let them Move share stories. Yeah. Yeah. Where others can learn from, or maybe you, you use a case in a team meeting and you coach based on that example so that others can learn. So there are a lot of great opportunities um, to do 
team coaching with A players together. So I love that you said something. I, again, forgive me for pushing pause, but when you made that, <laughs> that I had to stop because I think that that's really common. Like, ah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really common, and, and, and I wanted your perspective on that because you said something that I think our listeners need to hear. Coaching is absolutely a skill, and it can be developed. And uh-huh. just like we've worked to develop the salespeople skills, uh-huh. companies need to work to develop the leaders' coaching and leadership skills. Uh-huh. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they're so focused on what we're doing for the salespeople, we often forget that we need to do it for the sales leader. And the reason I think that's such a scary mistake is the leader is where you get the most leverage. They're leading eight to yeah. ten people, yeah. right? So. Yeah. This is just I've written a blog post on this last week um, because if you look at the numbers, so year after year we see that a formalized or dynamic coaching approach, and we come in a minute to what that means, leads every year to a two-digit improvement, actual improvement of win rates and similar results on quota attainment. So there is no reason why you as a sales leader would not focus on such an initiative. So, so I'm that glad means, yeah, there are other finished. beliefs and thought forms behind. No, I am so glad you went there because a common friend for both of us, a dear friend, a mentor of mine is Jim Dickey. And um, he was the first one to tell me about your work around that. And, we talked about that. I'm really interested in your take on that. If coaching drives win rate by double digits, and, and that's something that I think that your research proves pretty convincingly that we can we can say without yeah. hedging. That's that's yeah. pretty. Com- what kind of impact does double digit increase to win rate do to a sales organization? Yeah, I mean, whoever was responsible <laughs> uh, for managing win rates, maybe in an operations role, usually in large organizations, one or two percentage points make or break a fiscal year uh, in, in, in win rates. So it really makes a big difference. And then nobody can tell everybody we don't have time for that. I mean, why not? <laughs> it, it's one of the fastest ways to, to change your whole yes. company's value, I think. Yes, yes. Because you don't have to get yeah. more leads. Yeah. So I, to me, win rate is this thing that if we look at that, that's an ultimate metric that shows how effective we are as leaders or as individual contributors. Yeah. I love that metric, and I don't yeah. think it's used as effectively as it could be. So I'm glad you you went there. Yeah. So let's and go back to that. Just, uh, sorry. No, no, yeah, no, we both love this. Um, so we just talked about a positive impact. If you have thought through your coaching process, it's from implement and sales managers are equipped and they're required to do it. And you, you measure the impact, you do all the good stuff. So that's a two-digit improvement. But there is also the cost of doing nothing. And it means what we said earlier, if I'm in an environment where I say, oh, yeah, my goodness, sales coaching, it's left up to our managers. I mean, that leads to a significant uh, decline in win rates too. I mean, we have to look at this from both perspectives. So the average performance is around an informal approach. That means, okay, we have some guidelines and we know we should be doing this, but we are not very consistent and we didn't formally implement it. So that's, that's the way that usually ends up around average performance, but really not doing anything around sales coaching leads to a two-digit decline in win rates. And I mean, that's not something... Wow. Yeah. Uh, any sales leader wants to have. No, that's again so yeah. well set. I said I, I'm so appreciative of that. That's something that should. I, the reason I'm slowing down on it now tomorrow <laughs> is I think it's such a big deal. I don't want to blow by that. I want I want our sales leaders that are listening and our sales people that are listening. 
think about that for a second. If you're a salesperson, you should be running to coaching. If you're a sales leader, you should be developing your coaching skills, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've said some terms that I know that you released. I'm familiar with them because I'm a big fan of your work. You talked about informal coaching all the way up to dynamic coaching. Yeah. Um, can, Dynamic coaching is where you see big things happen. Can you talk yeah. about what makes for a dynamic coaching environment? Absolutely. So uh, that's the ultimate way to do it. Um, it means we have defined a coaching process. Uh, coaching process is something where we have clarity on the coaching activities that should take place, um, place at each stage of the customer's path, mirrored to your selling process landscape, um, it also means our sales managers are developed to do this. They're required to do it. It's measured and it's monitored. And uh, the dynamic component, uh, what we add to this is that we make sure that the coaching approach we have designed supports the enablement services we have already implemented for salespeople. So to, to make an example, if an organization um, – has implemented a new value messaging approach. Let's take this. So then there is new content. There are new value messaging guidelines, maybe new playbooks um, rolled out. Um, You had some training sessions in different modalities for the sales force and so on. And then you want to make sure that your sales managers coach along those lines to drive adoption and reinforcement. So that means you would also set up a, a coaching service that helps them to coach exactly um, in, in that way to drive reinforcement and, and adoption of, of this desired new behavior around having different conversations with different messages and things like that. Okay. So that that is something as I sit there and listen to you talk about, that sounds easy and intuitive to talk about, but hard mm-hmm. to do, right? Yes. Yes. Hard to do. Um, because there's a lot of change that has to happen. First, you have to have leaders that say, I'm going to do that. Then we have to make yeah. sure that the salespeople understand that the reason we're doing it is for their improvement, not for micromanagement. Any best practices in developing a dynamic coaching environment? Uh, first of all, it starts with uh, getting the business case approved to get this in your sales enablement charter and your business plan, however you call it. And that's usually one of the biggest hurdles just because of some of the resentments we talked about earlier that it's considered, oh, it's just a soft skill and you can do it when you have time and, you know, all they do it, it doesn't work and, and all these kind of things. Usually because sales leaders didn't experience in their own career. So that means you can have the best business case you won't get it approved because there are some thought forms behind it that are not even communicated. So um, a different approach is necessary. And what I found very, um, yeah, very effective is to role play things in a, in a sales leader meeting, just uh, ask a colleague, of course you have prepared that. Can we have two or three minutes? you will get two or three minutes and just role play a silly conversation between a sales manager and a salesperson. Um, What is your number this week? Mm, This and that. Oh, but that's not enough. Yeah, I know. Um, But And also I see in the system you don't have enough leads. Yes, I know that. Um, (laughs) You know, you you should do more prospecting. Yes, I know that, but I'm struggling with that. Yeah, I can just tell you, you have to do more prospecting to get more leads to to, to get to your numbers. You know, I'm just making this up, but it's happening every single day and it shows everybody, oh no, this is how this works. I know this is silly, it doesn't make any sense. And then you have a different conversation. And usually you find 
then, you know, you address this on an emotional level. And I think that is really important that people feel how the reality, how the reality really feels. So then you can say, okay, um, build a group of motivated sales managers. There are always sales managers uh, who are either natural coaches or who learned how to coach elsewhere. So I would simply put them together in a group. That's what I did at T-Systems. I found a team of a few very, really, really excellent sales managers. They already did that. They leveraged the stuff we've had. And it is this great stuff. I just need, need, need to coach on that. And it's getting better every week. And run a pilot with them. And then measure leading indicators, conversion rates, or whatever. And then you can show in a few weeks that you are on the right track that you're doing the right things to drive performance and productivity. And then you have a case and then feel free to use the data from our studies, put that case into your organization's context. And then it's a much, much better situation to get things approved and get started. I like it. Um, that, that's a really good blueprint. I, I, I think that's super insightful. And, you know, I think that this idea of creating a dynamic uh, process is something that everyone should aspire to. Let's finish this. And I, I want to get into something else before we start to uh-huh. run out of time. What percentage of sales orgs actually get to the level of dynamic coaching? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a growing group. So that's good news. We just uh, talked about this a few minutes ago. So a couple of years ago, we had half of almost 50% of our organization in it's left up to our managers. Now this is only around one third. Now, that wow. means we have a lot more organizations that are now in this informal state of coaching. Yes, we know we should be doing this. We just did a few things and we are getting started. Maybe we don't know how to do it right, but we, we are on it. So you have to go through that. And now we have 40% informal and dynamic. So uh, it's around around uh, between 15 and 20% in a dynamic, but also formal um, has achieved in the 2018 data 10.5% uh, actual improvement and dynamic had 16.6% actual improvement. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense to do this step by step. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So you have this awesome perspective and thank you for giving uh-huh. some pointers on coaching. Our, our listeners, thank you. I thank you on their behalf. Okay. Again, I said you have this cool blend of the experience of someone who was figuring out enablement. Uh, the expertise as you got good at it, and now the research as you've studied it as a professional. Uh-huh. You probably have a really unique perspective on the most important things to get right and the most common traps that people fall into where they might uh-huh. slip up. Can you share, I don't care which place you start, traps or things to get right, but could you share some of the things that you see standing out that, that our listeners might want to think about? Especially for coaching, um, either coaching or enablement, either coaching yeah, or yeah. either. Yeah. Um, I think it's not only relevant for coaching for all things enablement is, um, not to focus on a particular analysis of the current state of your organization and the rushing into, we should do this, we should do that mm. and doing a lot of, a lot of activities. So, I know this is not always easy to communicate internally, but less is more. Yeah, so if, if you have a situation and you always have a lot of inconsistent stuff out there in the sales world, it's not getting better if you push more of this stuff out there. It's, it doesn't make any sense. I'm glad you said that. I'm going to interrupt you again. Forgive me. <laughs> but you have such great points that I see happening is, 
know, because we work with with companies in 19 countries around the world now. And tell me your perspective, because you just said the less is more. People go to activities. That's the second or third time you've gone there, so you must be seeing a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what I see. When people get, when sales leaders get their goal for, again, 2019, it's always going to be bigger than what 2018 was, right? Mm -hmm. So they think since the R, the result has to grow, then maybe the activities, uh, the A, it has to grow. And if all I do is do more activities, then I, by default, should get more results. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is that isn't a recipe for sales success. It's mostly a recipe for a morale problem. But I'm really interested in what you're saying because you've brought up activities. Right? We have to do more than just – we have to do better, not more. We have to do better than just say work harder, right? Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, this is also uh, the assumption that if we hire more salespeople, we will be more productive. It's not going to work. Yeah, it, 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 it's simply not happening. So so, so your uh, enablement, your coaching has to help them get better, like measurably better, right? Yes, yes. And with all the growth aspirations and the focus on revenue, if you ask an entrepreneur, they always look for profit too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would always, and especially if people measure enablement by revenue plan attainment, I mean, what we see in our data, this is, there is always a, a correlation, but it's not the biggest one because revenue comes from different places. Yeah. yeah. So I would always encourage people to, to really define what is the problem in this company you want to solve for sales enablement. Maybe this is a transformation to a different how to sell model. Yeah. Maybe we go from product pushing to really solving problems our customers have and creating value this way. Uh, maybe it's, uh, we are on the journey to implement an omni-channel sales organization, but whatever that is. Yeah. And we have to, or we have to manage a merger and acquisition. So there's always a very specific situation that has to be addressed. So really having clarity on the goal and the role of sales enablement in that organization at that point in time is really, really important. And then if that is mapped to the sales, to the business strategy and to the sales strategy, and you've had this conversation with the senior executive leaders, then you can have a conversation that says, okay, what are the few things we really have to get right in this organization? And also, what do we don't do anymore? So what do we really stop doing? That's usually a conversation that doesn't take place. Uh, but that's important too. Um, because what sellers need, they need instant help at their fingertips. And if they have the feeling, oh, what I heard in that training, that's not consistent to the messaging I have over here in all this collateral and, and the content I should be using. It's I'm not doing this. I do what I do. Uh, so you don't want to have that. This is not adding any value, not to the sellers, not to the buyer interactions, not to your performance. So it's really important to assess the current state, to get rid of everything that's not helpful, that's no longer relevant, and so on. And then to build that up from there. And also it leads to the next pitfall or trap people run into that sales enablement will fix the current quarter. This is not the case. Mm. Yeah. Because if you work on, on, on developing skills, on changing behaviors, if you start your coaching practice to reinforce um, desired behaviors, this takes time. Then look at your average deal size, and then you have, on average, the cycle and the time span you need to invest until you see lagging indicators changing. 
MIT leading indicators changing early on. That's why I'm always recommending define the leading indicators you're going to measure as you start um, with your initiatives. Can you can you give our listeners some examples of what a good leading indicator might be if they like? I love that. I'm glad you yeah. went there, but yeah. I don't want people to like. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get that right. Great. Yeah, let's get that right. This is so important. Um, I mean, I would start with conversion rates um, at each stage of your selling process of your customer's journey. However, you 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 come to that conclusion. From stage by stage, you can measure this by value, by volume, and by velocity, and you have a, a great perspective on are we getting more productive? Are we getting faster? Um, do do we uh, attract higher uh, value leads and opportunity, things like that? You can see pretty soon if you're doing the right things and you're yeah. getting better. Within one sales cycle has been my experience. Yeah, yeah yes. within one sales cycle. Yes. If, you're, if you're looking for lead indicators, you can, within one sales cycle, see yeah. what we're doing is working. Yeah, glad yeah. and also first contacts lead to a follow-up. So it is also a, a nice indicator. It's easy to measure. Um, so how high is our outreach working? How are our sales calls working? Are people really focused on solving on understanding the problem and the problem behind the problems that can be solved creates value for both. We know this is a deal we want to move forward. We can really help the client or we have to say, no, diagnosis is done. We can't help you, but we know who, who could. Then it's also good and you lose fast and you can move on to another deal that's more, that, that, that's better for your business and also for the client. I love talking to you, Tamara, tomorrow because you have so much depth. Uh, I, I can say, let's pause and go down. You're like, yeah, let's go. And, uh, and, and your expertise and your research and your experience all just shines as you talk because it's stuff you've done and stuff you've got good at, but it's also what you do now talking to everyone. If you were to, now, now I'm going to kind of like see if we can piece it together. Let's start taking all these, these bits that yeah. we've been talking about. Let's start trying to reconstruct it now. If you were going to say the ultimate sales leadership blueprint, considering enablement, considering coaching, not just one or the other, because they're, they're together, what, what are some things that you would call non-negotiables? Things that, you know, they'll all be a little different the way they execute it from company to company. What are the kind of core elements that should be in place uh, for a sales leader if they want to get this enablement and coaching function right? Um, yeah, so they should aim for a partnership between sales operation and sales enablement. Uh, so they should understand these are two sides of the same coin. So it's not that I focus this year on that and next year on that. That's not going to work. So sales operation is more creating the foundation of your sales system, processes, implemented, embedded methodologies, technology, com territory, account management, these things forecast funnel uh, reporting, of course, and then enablement is, is working based on that. It's connecting the enablement services, content training, coaching services, tools to all these different stages uh, of your process landscape and so on. So this is, uh, to me, a non-negotiable that um, sales leaders see this as two sides of the same coin. Having that in place, it is much easier for your sales management and, and, and your sales teams to be effective based on that landscape. That's one thing. Then the other thing is uh, in both areas, enablement and operations, drink your own champagne. Ah. Um, that means, you know, if we are focusing on solving customers' problems, for instance, if we are focusing on using a certain value messaging approach we just worked on, 
then the sales leaders have to do that the same way. Hmm. Yeah. And they can't just, you know, have a town hall meeting and say, you know, just sell some stuff, you know, that kills everything you do. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've seen this, you know, I've seen sales leaders that, you know, we have so many problems with the CRM, you know, I personally, I would switch it off. I don't know. We can't, I mean, you kill any kind of initiative. So, <laughs> drink your own champagne. That's important for everything you do in sales ops and in sales enablement too. And then regarding the numbers, because so many sales organizations, they get caught up in numbers. So enablement has to prove its impact. <clears throat> sales operations, tracking the numbers, managers want to get deals approved, whatever it is. It's really important that they all work on the same database and that we stop to produce PowerPoint extracts for sales leaders to look at. They work in the same system. They want their people to work on. So all of this is actually, it has a lot to do with being consequent in everything you do. And there's also this notion of consistency in how you lead a sales force. That's, those are some good building blocks. And you just yeah. finished with consistency and, and yeah. how it's funny because I'm writing notes as I listen to you. And the, <laughs> I just wrote on my notepad that I wanted to ask you is what's the role of consistency? If we're going to drink our own champagne, mm-hmm. if we're going to get buy-in. If we're going to have people really believe that we're authentic, uh, a, what's the role? How important is it? And, and maybe B, any tips on how you create consistency? Because you said earlier, I'm sorry I'm rambling, that there was like these common excuses. Oh, yeah, and the one that I hear a lot, you were the first one you said, I don't have time. Yeah. I respectfully call BS on that. that yeah. We have to I say do. that's if you're not doing that, what are you doing? So can you yeah. speak to consistency and prioritization and where and really how a leader should prioritize their time? Yeah, I mean, prioritizing time on what matters, what makes an impact. And this is very often connected to making decisions that are against our habits. Yeah. So if we have habits to do things, we now know that don't have a significant impact on our performance. We should stop doing it. So, and this goes, you know, across the sales force, if you still have the belief or the thought form, whatever, that um, we should push our sellers to send out 25 or 30 prospecting emails in an hour or having the same amount of calls, whatever, just because we assume that would make a difference, then we have simply to stop doing that. Yeah, and to say, no, we know it better. We actually know we, we kill our brand. We, we have a bad outcome rate. We could make it just better with doing the right research and talking to 10 people only, but the right ones and having good conversations. So it's, it's breaking habits. It's creating new behaviors. It's a lot of work on the mindset uh, of the leaders themselves and how they build the culture uh, with their sales managers and then the sales organization. Love it. It's a lot of mind stuff work. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, we are running short. <clears throat> like I told you, I thought would happen. We we're we're, we're running yeah. up. So I want to go rapid and, fire. And of course, just sorry. <laughs> yeah. Having the customers at the center. So really. Oh, well said. Yeah. Every, everything gets built. You know, this is just so natural to me that I forget to talk about it. And I say, but you usually say the customer should be the primary design point. Yes, I didn't say this today. So this is really important for whatever we design in enablement and in operations and, and how we lead our sales teams. 
working backwards from the customer's path. So we're in the age of the customer. We're living in the age of the customer. So customer engagement is what really makes us effective and successful at the end of the day. So that's the design point. All right, let's let's go rapid fire. Let's go yeah. three, three <laughs> shots to finish. You ready? <laughs> really quick, you know, top of mind only. Where what is AI going to do to sales? That's a great question. <laughs> you are my um, research expert. I'm really interested yeah. in what you think it's going to do. So yeah, so we added a few more questions this year in our enablement service, and we're looking forward to this. So, but here is what I currently see. What we currently see. Um, a lot of organizations are experimenting with AI tools in different ways. Um, the danger we currently see, so first of all, I have to say, a lot of these systems can create amazing results to drive productivity and also performance if it comes to opportunity qualification, lead qualification, these things. But, and this is a big but, we have to learn to understand what the algorithms are actually doing. And that's the big danger. We see, I see a lot of sales organizations running into this. Then they say, um, you know, we come to a situation where people have this habit of blindly following what the system says. And okay. this is very dangerous because if we don't know how the algorithm works and how it came to a certain conclusion, then we really lose our strategic and critical thinking skills. Can that be true? Does it make sense? So, yeah, but the system said, you know, this is a bit uh, where we are at, at some kind of a crossroads that we really have to be in a situation that we use technology to serve humans to be better, to augment our expertise. Or we become slaves of technology because these are machine learning systems and then we don't know, we don't know what they're doing, but they are doing great stuff. So we would just do that, what they're saying. You know, I think this is where really, um, humans have to, to work on themselves to really understand what the technology is doing and can be great servants and really can augment a lot of people's in many different roles and expertise, no doubt on that, but we have to understand what the systems are doing. Hmm, I like it. Good perspective. Thank you for sharing it. Number two. Uh, either one that you've experienced yourself or one that you've observed as in your mm-hmm. roles, uh, biggest sales leadership challenge that you've either experienced or seen, and, and how do you face that down? The biggest challenge. Um, the need to think and act um, with a long-term perspective, like but it. being forced to to achieve short-term results. Yeah, any, yeah, that, that is a tough one. You alluded to that earlier. We said enablement's not going to solve the, it's not going to solve for the quarter. It's going to solve for the long term. That's, mm-hmm. you're right. Any, any, any thoughts on how you overcome that? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is outside, uh, the responsibility of sales organizations, but, uh, why do we need to measure each quarter as a fiscal year? Why don't we simply give an organization the freedom to do good work over the course of a year? Like it. Deep thoughts by Tamara Shank. <laughs> I like it. All right, last thing I'm going to ask, and then we're gonna we'll be done. And, and first of all, again, thank you. You're as always, you're amazing. Every time I listen to you, you're amazing. Your work is amazing. This conversation has been fun. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, My pleasure, Rob. <laughs> we have found that leaders are, are very often readers. And I don't care if it's books or audibles or blogs. Uh, of course, we're going to plug Sales Enablement, the Master Framework to Engage, Equip, and Empower, World-Class uh -huh. Salesforce. I'm holding it right now. It's a great book. I've read it. Uh, <laughs> What else would you suggest uh, that a leader, you know, something that they might want to get thinking about to help them in their leadership journey? Oh, yeah. So these are great questions. Um, the book. So honestly, I have a, a lot of books um, on my list to read. Um, I have a hard time to get through all these books because I'm, I'm reading in, in my role every single day, a lot of stuff. Right. So what I would encourage people to do is reading different things. Um, so especially things that help you reflect your own role in what you experience. Um, so for instance, there is a book, it's called why should anyone be led by me? Yeah. That's a, I that's don't know a great book. Correct. Yeah, that it is a great, great moment. Book. Yeah, <laughs> so that really helps to reflect a lot. Um, then, yeah, I would. Um, that's a great one. That that's a fantastic yeah. one. Yeah, uh, and no one's ever suggested that one yet, Tamara. Oh, really? Yeah, we we have a little library we put together where people can. See there there is an, a really nice book I enjoyed a lot, and it's really not a bit. Uh, that's a, a small book. It's called The Five Elements of Effective Thinking. Oh. So I like that a lot. And um, then. An attribute we all need a lot more and we should have a lot more freedom to be that uh, is about courage. So the joy of living dangerously. So that's a book from Osho that goes more in a bit of the spiritual world, but I can highly recommend it to read about a very different perspective on courage because it's what a lot of sales leaders need and everybody in sales yeah. uh yeah, yeah. no, those are a lot of courage. Awesome. Those are awesome. Those, those yes. are fantastic. Let's, <clears throat> every one of those is unique. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and it's such a great ad for what a leader, it's more yeah. than just like sales books. I love that perspective. So thank you for giving those. Yes. Tamara, we sure. are for sure out of time and I'm so <laughs> appreciative to what you've done. I knew that you would be able to go deep on anything. We could have taken any one of those and filled a whole podcast on it. Um, how do they get more of you? How, our listeners, you know, if, if they aren't following you, if they're not getting your content, if they don't get, how do they get more of you? How do they get more from CSO Insights? How, how can they connect to what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, my pleasure. So yeah, we welcome everyone on CSOinsights.com. So we have a blog there. Um, so we have usually uh, blog posts on Tuesdays, and uh, I'm the one who is publishing on a Thursday. Um, we have also research studies that are, after a certain amount of time, open market. So there is also a menu on our website called Research Studies. So people can also scroll down and uh, and download uh, research studies. And we always have current <laughs> study people can participate, and that can also be found on our website. And then, of course, LinkedIn, uh, Tamara Schenk, and Twitter, at Tamara Schenk. So, yeah, so everyone, please uh, feel free to contact me, connect with me. Happy yeah. to add people in my network. I will endorse your book. I will endorse Thank your you work. So 
um, read the book, participate in the studies because then she sends them to you. And you get yep. these studies and I'm telling you that the studies then are insightful. Research, yes. <laughs> insightful. Do it. If you don't follow her, if you're not participating in her work, do it. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Uh, you guys will end up thanking me for, for doing that and for bringing her on the show. Uh, Tamara, thank you. What I love about everything you've done, you know, you, you are so great at helping companies eliminate content chaos. You talked about that earlier. <laughs> she is the eliminator a of topic content thrown out of blog posts. <laughs> That's right. She is the, she is the facilitator of dynamic coaching. Uh, one of the leaders in, in how leaders are changing the way they enable and coach teams. Tamara Shank from CSO Insights. Thank you so much for joining us and happy selling. Entirely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And Tamara Shank is really someone that every sales leader should be following. I hope many of you are already following her work. If you're not, take my advice and start following her. She has great research, these annual reports that come out, uh, like she referred to on her enablement study. Uh, I find that her regular blog work and, and ongoing content is super insightful and super helpful. And um, not only does it help me, I encourage all of the sales leaders that I work with and engage with to, to refer to her work and use her work. And I think that she has this really cool perspective, and she had a great interview about a really a pretty wide a variety of topics that we talked about all related to coaching. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so one of the things that I wanted to come out of this was she talked about it early. She referred to it multiple times. Coaching is a skill that any leader can learn. Just like salespeople need to develop their sales skills, every single sales leader needs to work on developing their coaching skills. And coaching skills are, are a wide range of skills. It starts with how you create a coaching plan, and it goes into how you execute that plan and, and actually do ongoing one-on-ones. And, and then it follows to how well you follow up post one-on-one and, and string these things together. So the one-on-one becomes a series of really strategic conversations that drive change and that ultimately drive performance. And so I think that that's super important because we didn't really call it this, but I'm going to call it this in this part of this, this uh, podcast. I believe that great coaching is arguably your most defensible competitive advantage. We're in a world right now where the salespeople that are entering the workplace and that are, that are comprising at least a third of your team and will be half of your team in, in very short period of time, the thing that drives them most is am I getting great development and great coaching? And it's, we're at a point right now that if, if you're not getting great coaching, that's reason enough to leave the company. And so as a result, if you want to be the person that can build, retain, and then uh, benefit from a killer team, you're going to have to be a great coach. You're going to have to be. And she talks about four levels of coaching. You can read all about it in her book, Sales Enablement. Uh, you can read about it in the studies that you should go, go to Miller Hyman's website, uh, go to CSO Insights, and you can download all of that work. You'll find there's four levels of coaching. Number one she talked about is leave it up to the managers, which she said is code for nothing will ever happen. And just a couple of years ago, that was 50% of the sales leaders. Level two is informal. Level three is more formal. And level four is dynamic. And you can learn what all of those things are about. There's very few dynamic uh, sales coaches. Um, 
but that, that that dynamic coaching is what really turns on amazing things. My favorite impact that she talks about, she's talked about it many places, she referred to it here, is that you'll get double-digit improvement in win rate. Now, I have been on record saying this. I think that changing win rate is maybe arguably the fastest way for you to create more value and more impact inside a company. If you can help your reps uh, have a higher batting average per at-bat, you're going to find amazing things happen. So if there was nothing else that came from coaching other than double-digit improvement in win rate, that by itself makes it so it's super important. But there's so many other things. Okay, so go back and listen to this. Become a student of coaching. Just like when you're in sales, you became a student of sales, and you still need to do that as a leader. If becoming a student of coaching is not part of what you're doing, then you're missing out on the opportunity to have what I believe is your most defensible competitive advantage. And so there's lots of things that makes dynamic coaching. She gave a great blueprint for that. She gave us some killer best practices that we should do. And, and the, three, the, the, the three that she really referred to the most before we finish with the capstone, the crown jewel, got to get support. Don't just try and go on your own journey. Um, she talks about the fact that many orgs see this as a soft skill that just anyone can just do. Make it a point of emphasis. If this hasn't been something that you've put structure, funding, tools, training around, do it. You're going to have to fight for it. Uh, I know. I mean, our company, that's what we do. And, and pretty much every time we, we get an engagement, we had to help them find the funding for it. Second, practice. We help our salespeople practice their sales skills, but, but I love how Tamara talked about sales managers needing to practice their coaching skills. You know, and don't, don't just be captain obvious. Oh, well, you need to sell more. Oh, well, you need more opportunity starts. That's why understanding how activities line up and understanding the role of activities is so important. Uh, she talked about activities and how that's one of the traps. Activity management is something that people think is coaching, and it's not. What, when it becomes coaching is when you can understand how an activity helps tune the engine or tune the deal or something like that. Which leads to the third uh, best practice she talked about was clarity. How do activities drive improvement? And she really gave us some great leading indicators that you should search out. But the final thing that I want to finish with was the consistency topic. She said that that was the thing. I found it's a thing as well. Um, you need consistency, and the only way you're going to have consistency is if you have a coaching process. So I know that you've been asked to build a great sales process or you've been asked to leverage a sales process. Make sure you are also building a coaching process. It should have a uh, determined frequency. It should have determined focus points. It should help with performance coaching. It should help with opportunity coaching. And most of all, it should always stimulate commitment, commitment to change. So go back and listen tomorrow. Um, I think you're going to find that she is a massively important resource. And I hope that from this podcast, you leave with a different commitment to create the strongest, most defensible competitive advantage you can have, and that's to have a killer coaching process. Hit me up if you have questions about that. I love to talk coaching and how to build a world-class coaching system. And in the meantime, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. 
you can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.